Thank you, Betsy, Edith, Jonathan, choir, and certainly children. Let's give them a big hand. You know, with Norman Ferby's passing, I thought there'd be a big hole left in the choir, and I think he's smiling from heaven, saying there's some good replacements for him in that choir. So thank you for that beautiful rendition. We are in our first Peter study, entitled Ambassadors of Hope. And we've been looking at the ambassador's management, his stewardship of spiritual gifts. We're in the third part of that. I make a major detour here. But it was an important topic that we needed to discuss. I took time to do that. The question I have to ask, you flip through the channels at night and you see some of these guys on TV and you have to ask, are, are faith healers for real? Are they the real deal? I mean, they're really making pitches this morning. This morning I saw Peter Popoff on TV. The guy's been arrested and convicted of uh, fraud, but selling a vial of holy water for healing. And the question that a discerning Christian has to ask, are they for real? And modern prophets, are they for the real? These are prophets of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, starting with Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Were they prophets telling us a new way to God? And how about the prosperity gospel? Is it for real? I have a word of wisdom from God. This is how you get rich. And it's God's plan for us to be rich. And these are issues that Christians face today to discern truth from error. Benny Hinn, a great faith healer who has since repudiated his health and wealth and prosperity gospel, has been guilty of purporting a lie. And I like this statement, you don't see a lot of faith healers working in hospitals for the same reason you don't see psychics winning the lottery. Many of them are shams and uh, false, and we need to know what they're doing. Many of their rallies are orchestrated to make it appear to be a great work of God, and I fear for them. But here we are in looking at the ambassador's management of and the stewardship of the spiritual gifts. And as we have been studying in this uh, this illustration of the disciples' cross, how important when we look at our relationship with God that he that we are made in the image and likeness of God. We have an intellect, emotion, and will, and that there's a throne in our hearts that prior to coming to Christ is occupied by self. But when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ and we trust him to be our savior, he takes the throne of our hearts. He dwells in us richly. And the Lord Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, this is the greatest commandment. Here, Israel, uh, you shall uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this illustration of the disciples' cross speaks of loving God and loving our neighbor. Loving God through the, the, the worship that we can express to him today in our songs publicly and in our prayers quietly. In our uh, reading of his word, he communicates and tells us of his great love for us. And that we live by it 
we, we, we communicate that love and obedience to him by putting it into action. Then loving others, we have this responsibility to handle what has been entrusted us and that stewardship of those things, the time, talent, temple, treasure, and truth are ways that we express love to others. And then we have the ministry of witnessing both to saints through our example and sinners through our evangelism. And in us dwells the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit exudes from us as we're filled with his spirit, that we yield to him, that we don't quench him. The love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness exudes from us. The self-control exudes from us. And people say, there's something different about you. What is it? Let me tell you, it's Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory. But one of the things that we're talking about in this time is this stewardship and how important it is what's been entrusted to us. And that's where we've been talking about, I call it P here, talent, but it's really spiritual gifts. And that's where we're learning to be good stewards of it. This is a difficult message today, so I'm going to ask you to, if you would, would you bow with me and pray? Father, we come to this difficult passage in our study of gifts. And I pray that, Lord, I would not be unkind or un, um, Christ-like to these who hold these positions, but help me to be true to what your word says. And help me to help us to distinguish the place of these gifts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In looking at this review of what we've been looking at in the book of First Peter, He's given us this purpose. I review this every week because he tells us this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter's telling us this is the way to walk. And when we looked at this fourth chapter, um, there was a break in it. And that's where we're taking a little diversion here. In the first six verses, he talks about suffering. Then he gives us related information to it. And then we're going to resume next week his instructions on suffering. And then... One of the things he says in First Peter uh, 4, 9, and 10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employing it uh, in service one uh, another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As good stewards, manage it. Handle it. Use it, is what he's telling us. Now, when we've looked at the spiritual gifts, uh, the Apostle Paul we're relying on him, and he said in First Corinthians uh, 12, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant or unformed about these. And that's why we're taking three weeks to look at these, because this is very important to him. And we said that a, uh, a spiritual gift is uh, a divine enablement by the Holy Spirit give, given to each I'm sorry, to every believer for the building of the church and the glory of God. So it's a divine enablement given by God. Now there's four passages that talk about spiritual gifts. The one first Peter that launched us into this dealt with the speaking and the serving gifts. He was general. Then we looked at 
the ministerial gifts in Ephesians 4. Last week we looked at the motivational gifts in uh, Romans 12. And this week we're going to look at the what we call the manifestational gifts or the apostolic gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, when we looked at the ministerial gifts, remember, I want you to think ministers or office holders. These are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastor teachers. These are gifts that are given to the church. Now, we, when we were studying these, we said there was a cessation of the apostles and the prophets. And I asked you, why were they ceased? And the reason was, is that the canon of scripture, the, the full extent of the scriptures was now complete. When the apostle John died, the apostles ceased to be. That office ceased to be. As well as those prophets that were used by God to uh, put together the, the scriptures. And that's a very, very important point. It's going to play out in our discussion here shortly. Now, when we look at the motivational gifts, these are the gifts in pra- they're practical in nature, but they build up the church, and it describes the inner motivation of the Christian servant. And in Romans 12, 6-8, we looked at those, and those are prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy. And the reason why we wanted to identify those last week was because each of you has at least one of these gifts, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. It happens at the mo- moment of conversion and that the Holy Spirit's indwelling in you. So it be behave you, behoove you to know what that is. And that's where we, on the bottom of your bulletin, is that spiritual gift assessment tool. Can I just ask, who has done that online? Has did, Have some of you done that? Okay, let me challenge you. I mean, some people go through life, I, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. This is a tool, it is not written in stone that this is your gift, but it's a tool that might give you an insight to what your spiritual gifting is. And that becomes important because, if you remember, I had that illustration of a square peg in a round hole. And then you wonder why church work is boring. You're, you're, you're not doing the job that you're made to do. Now, God doesn't really desire that for you. He wants to, He's made you in a certain way. He's made you a certain shape to fit in a certain shaped hole. And we said to find your place in, in service, look at your shape. What spiritual gifts do you have? Unwrap them. Find out what they are. Ask people, what do you think my gift is? Or take that assessment. It's a tool to help find out what it is. What's your heart? What do you have a passion about? Where do you really like serving the Lord? That's pretty important because if you don't, it's drudgery and people don't like around, you know, you have a long face, oh, I'm doing this because this is my gift. Okay, do you really have a heart for it? God doesn't put you in conflict there. And maybe you have abilities, natural gifts, natural talents that go along with that gifting. I can name several of you now that have abilities that fit with your spiritual gift and your personality type. Remember, I was jumping around up here last week. Some are very introverted. That's okay. You're okay with being behind the scenes. Some of you are extrovert. You want to be out front. Boy, that's okay too. Because that's the way God made you and your experiences. Maybe you had painful Experiences, or maybe you had very positive experience, whether it's spiritually or, or economically or educationally, whatever. You've had experiences, 
and God can use those experiences um, for his glory. Just this week, Mary Rose Copeland and I were in the hospital room with um, Shelton and Joan Leggett. Shelton had passed away. We're waiting for the, the men from Walker to be there. And Mary Rose, when we went out of the room for, to let them do their duties there, that Mary Rose leaned over and said to Joan, I'm certain that when Shelton got to heaven, Nathan was there to welcome him. And if you saw the countenance change on Joan, uh, it was remarkable. And Mary Rose's painful experience of having lost her husband, Nathan, several years ago, was something that she went through. But she, in her grace and mercy, ministered to Joan in such a way, it was measurable, it was palpable. You go, oh my goodness, a, a kind word in time, a word of grace and mercy in time made all the difference to Joan that night. So, just because you've had bad experiences, God wants to use those in your life to be a blessing to others as well. So today in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at the manifestational gifts. And we call these, um, these are the perhaps the most controversial gifts that we have, and because they're often the most misused. And what Paul said to us applies to us. Now, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And so that's why we're going to take a time to look at it. Now, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12 with the help of the Apostle Paul. Last week we looked at Romans. This week we looked at, uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. Because now the Apostle Paul is going to expand on what Peter had told us. So here we are in um, the books of First and Second Corinthians. Here's a map of modern-day Greece. And you see Athens there. That's the capital. And then if you look, there's the town of Corinth, highlighted in the larger bold print. And if you look at the, the way the sea goes there, there's a narrow strip of land connecting mainland Europe to the Corinthian, not an island so much, but it's a landmass. And... Uh, that little strip of land is called an isthmus. Okay, it's an isthmus. And what would happen is, in, in Bible times, the shipping going around the southern edge of Greece there, in the winter, they would get terrible winds and terrible seas. So what they got in the habit of doing is they would come into, um, into where Corinth was, and they had a means of moving the ships on carts, these large carts, They'd keep the cargo on, they'd load them, and they'd take them across the isthmus, and then they'd continue with the protection of the, the landmass. But as a result, this was a, a famous Roman city, and it was a famous Greek city, but any time you get sailors together uh, and, and this lifestyle, um, there was trouble. And so what we see in what Paul was writing to about 56 to 57 AD to the Corinthians, that... Corinth was a wealthy seaport, and it was great Roman and Greek influence, and it was quite decadent. Um, in fact, when we say the word Corinth, that was akin to saying fornication. Okay, so it's a wicked word in, in that day. But they had a 20,000-person um, outdoor theater. They had the Isthmian Games, which is comparable. It was the next one down to the Olympic Games. So it was a very big sports uh 
um, community, and then they had a temple of Aphrodite, and they had a hundred, uh, I'm sorry, a thousand prostitutes there. So you could see this was a mess of a town. And the Apostle Paul, writing to them, there was a church that formed there. And now the thing about this, this is a messy, multi-ethnic church making plenty of mistakes. But I'm glad they made their mistakes because through it, Paul was able to address them and what what we like to say was a teachable moment for the rest of Christian Christianity. Their mistakes, we don't have to repeat their same mistakes. Paul addresses the dysfunction in this church, and he, one area that he deals with is the dysfunction of spiritual gifts. They were being misused. And from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is where he instructs the church on the use of spiritual gifts. We start... It says in verse 4 and 5, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Okay, we see that in discussing these, um, uh, the ministerial gifts and the uh, motivational gifts. And then we're going to see that in these, uh, these other gifts, the manifestational gifts. And then it goes on, There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now this phrase, manifestation of the Spirit, is a more apparent exhibition or display of supernatural demonstration of the Holy Spirit used for it validating and authenticating His Word and His work in and through the church. So the Manifestation of the Spirit was used to validate the message and the messenger. And that becomes key. Paul goes on to write, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another the gift of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. I'm sorry, I I wasn't advancing. So we see that there's all these gifts, and he gives it just as uh, as he wills. But there's a dispute that has arisen. And the question is, with these manifestational gifts, are they still active? We all have friends that are in the charismatic community, in uh, uh, what they would say are spirit-filled churches that speak in tongues. And the question is, are those still legitimate, valid gifts for today? There's two schools of thought on this. And I want to bring it up to you because we're we're, some t- we're embroiled in it. One is called the cessationist view. And that's the view that the apostolic or the miraculous gift gifts have ceased. Cessation. And the continuism view, that the view that the New Testament gifts are still in effect. So when someone 
is healing someone or uh, uh, speaking in tongues, uh, those are still legitimate. Now, I have to tell you, I'm more of the cessationist camp. And I'm studying this. I don't, the, the hard thing about doing a message like this is I don't want to speak ignorantly against what God has revealed. And so, I'm going to share my position with you, but realize I, there's, I, I'm not absolutely convinced of the position to the point where, you know, I'm calling out my charismatic brethren. Now, I have a good reason for believing what I do, but I just want you to know that good Christians on both sides of the issue can have differing views. And Paul tells us how to handle that. So the, the disputed gifts would be these. The speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. They're two separate gifts. And there's very clear rules for speaking in tongues in Corinth that 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 uh, Paul gives. Unfortunately, they're not followed in many churches today. And there's also the issue of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, such to the point that it's almost comparable to the word of God. And then there's prophecy, predicting future events, and then healing, supernatural healings of persons by individuals, and miracles performed by individuals. Now, this I want to make sure that you understand what I'm not saying. The cessationist view is not saying that healing, miracles, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge have ceased to exist. But the gift of these residing in individuals has ceased to exist. For example, does God still do miracles? Absolutely. We saw that with uh, Caleb Langdell this summer. I mean, there's no other explanation for his survival. Um, Hunter Cobb. We, we see the, the, these things. Did, did someone come and lay hands on, uh, on Caleb? No. We prayed for him and God saw fit to heal him. Wednesday night, we were together in the fellowship hall praying for Shelton's, uh, healing. Recovery from the surgery that he had. He dies right when we left. Did we not have enough faith? No, God had his plans. The point being is that the, the power doesn't reside in us anymore to do these miracles. I'm not going to go lay hands on them, but God has the power to do it. And we need to differentiate between that because of what he's doing. Because when we do, we, we, we get into a dangerous area and, and there's a danger of adding to the word of God. So, when we look at the historical case for cessationism, it's interesting when we study uh, miracles. And there are three primary times in world history, in biblical history, that we see God really pouring out miraculous work in and through individual men. We see this in the time of Moses and Joshua. That's about 1450 to 1380 B.C. That's a period of about 70 years. Then we see the time of Elijah and Elisha, the prophets. That's about 860 to 795. That's about 65 years. And then we see Jesus and his ministry with the apostles and the works that they had done. That was from about 25 to 95, depending on your chronology. So that's about 70 years as well. 
So in 4,000 years of Bible history, there's only about 200 years in which uh, miracles had a prominent role in world history, in Bible history. It's a very small window, comparatively speaking. And it's one that causes us to say, why? Why was it limited? Why was such a small time uh, for these manifestational gifts um, of miracles through men? And it's not more. You think that every place you see people doing these miracles in the Old Testament and in the New, but it's, it's very limited. And the answer for this is this, that the reasons for it, it was to authenticate and validate and to confirm both the messenger and the message as being from God. That's why Moses did what he did. And people said, this is from God. That's why Elijah and Elisha did what they did. That's from God. And that's what Jesus and his apostles said. Their, the message as well as the messenger were from God. It validated. It gave them credence. It gave them street cred, we like to say. And that's why God allowed those miracles to occur. And what we found with the, um, uh, with the, that the apostles and the prophets, their gifts ceased as well. Why? Because the word of God had been completed. And so that we see the same thing occurring with these gifts as well. The purpose and the mission of these miracles had been accomplished. It validated the message and the messenger. Now, making a biblical case for cessationism, um, in First in Corinthians 13, in the same section, Paul writes, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. That little highlighted portion there, the perfect comes, that, that's where the dis- dispute is among many Christians today. Is the perfect the completion of the scriptures? The, the mature, perfect is maturing, fully fulfilled? Or is it when the time of Christ occurs, when he comes in his second coming? That's the debatable area. And that's why I'm not trying to take such a hard and fast, uh, staunch view about it, but let you know This is where we are on these gifts, and there's reasons on both sides. Here's another one. In Revelation 22, verse 18, John says, I testify to everyone who hears the word of prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. The real danger with some of these activities is that they then are added to or equal to the validity of the scriptures. And we can just see, I'm from a Catholic background, we just see the heresies that have evolved from that. And so that, we need to be very cautious of it. And so, um, we should not add to the completed canonical books. And then in Hebrews, I like what the writer of Hebrews says, and, and this just tells you that this purpose is filled. And it says, after it was, After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. 
it was these the message and the messenger were validated and it was he used it he confirmed it and that we see the purpose of what god was doing in giving us these miracles or these signs and wonders there was definitely scriptural support for it but the question is do they continue today through individual men Remember, I'm not saying miracles don't happen. They happen every day. When someone trusts Christ to be their Savior, when someone puts Jesus Christ on the throne of their heart by faith, say, Lord Jesus, I've broken your laws. I'm a sinner, but I believe Christ died on the cross for me, and he took my place, and I ask you, Lord, come into my life. Save me. That is the greatest miracle of all. He does it every day, and we cannot say that miracles don't happen. But someone, you know, slapping you on the forehead and asking for a thousand dollars, you know, to, to plant this seed, or, you know, um, I'm skeptical of. And we, as Christians, need to be alert to it. And then look at this. In Second Peter 1, 3, Peter writes, His divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and virtue. The scriptures are sufficient. We don't need signs and wonders anymore. It's enough. It's sufficient. And when we start adding to, I need this to help my faith. I need this. We have everything we need for life and godliness. And when we look to signs and wonders, we're vulnerable, extremely vulnerable to error and the rise of cults and and false religions is evidence of that. Everything we need for life and godliness is right here. And I want to encourage you that you make that a part of your everyday, that you're reading God's letter to us. What is This is the way, walk in it, that we spend time with him. We get to know the God of the Bible. We get to know how he works. And so when we see these guys on TV slapping this or taking their coat and people falling down, you go, that's not of the Lord. But people send millions to support ministries like that, and it's 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 abhorrent because they don't know the Word of God. But the Word of God is sufficient for us. So we looked at you know making the case why why is there a case for cessation? And the revelation to God is complete. The canon of scripture scripture is sufficient, and there's no further need for God to manifest Himself. To confirm his revelation. He's done that. It's finished. Here it is. This is the way. Walk in it. Now I don't mean to. Um, I'm trying to stir up your spiritual gifts. Not stir up the hornet's nest by this message. We still have friends that are in the charismatic movement. We are polite and gentle with them. We, we uh, show care. But all of this, now you have a, a pretty good understanding of the spiritual gifts that are available to us, that the Holy Spirit gives us, and it's incumbent on us to be good stewards of it. You're going to give an account one day before the Lord. You know, I gave you that gift of whatever it was. Why didn't you use it? Oh, Lord, I knew you were a hard master, and I kind of hid it. I didn't want to use it. We know the outcome of that is not going to be very pleasing. But what we live for is to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful steward. What was entrusted to you, you handled well. In fact, I gave you that and you made more of it. You honored me that way. 
enter into the joy of your master. I hope you're living for that. Because when Norman got to glory last night, that's exactly what his Lord said to him. Well done, Norman. Well done. We Anyone who knows Norman or Shelton knows that they were godly men. That they were good stewards of what God entrusted them with. Well done. That should motivate us to be good stewards. So I'm not trying to stir up the hornet's nest, but to encourage you and to motivate you to discover what your gifts is and then put it into action. Nike sneakers um, made billions with the campaign and their motto was, just do it. And I'm saying to you, find out what your gift is and just do it. And you're going to find that there's a joy in serving Jesus that is beyond measure. You say, boy, this is great. I get to do this. Let me give you some cautions here about some spiritual gifts, and we'll close here shortly. The one thing about spiritual gifts, and when we get into these uh, emotional responses to it, is that some have sought the gift rather than, or more than the giver of the gift. We're to seek the giver of the gift, a heart for God and to know Christ personally, rather than to have this great emotional high when I speak in tongues or this. That does not, it doesn't accomplish much. And so, seek the giver of the gift and not the gift. Here are seven things that you have in your bulletin there. I want to remind you that, some cautions, don't confuse your gift with your natural talents. We talked about natural talents maybe fitting in, but that's not necessarily your spiritual gift. And you need to be able to discern the difference. Now, sometimes your spiritual gift and your natural gift go hand in hand, as I shared with you last week about uh, Jimmy Smithwick and his great ability as a woodworker. And I could go on. I can I can go through this and point it out. Um, don't confuse your spiritual gift with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I, I showed these things coming out. That's the Holy Spirit in us. That's our yieldingness to the Holy Spirit coming out. That's not our spiritual gifts. And uh, don't confuse it with uh, our universal duties as Christian believers. You know, we still, all of us still give. I have the gift of giving. So I give of and beyond, but every one of us has a responsibility to give. So that's that's important to recognize that. Oh, I don't have the gift of giving. Or, hey, I don't have the gift of evangelism. So I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. No, we're all supposed, we're all witnesses. You shall be my witnesses, Jesus said. That doesn't relieve us of it. Now, there might be someone that does it more effectively than us, but each of us are to testify of Christ in our life to others. Every one of us is to help. So don't confuse the gifts as, oh, I'm, I don't have that gift. Yeah, but you still have the responsibilities, as every believer does. Those with the gift do above and beyond. And then we look, don't confuse, confuse a gift with Christian roles. There are pastors that uh, are great preachers and teachers, but their spiritual gift might be mercy. They're just incredible, merciful men that can sit down and counsel and share with people. That's their spiritual gift, but they're also up here proclaiming. I I can go on others, but don't confuse the role that you have and your gift. Don't expect others to serve the same way you do with the similar gifting. Okay? Uh, Be aware of gift projection. If I have this gift, by God, you've got to serve the same way I do. No, the Holy Spirit's the one that's leading. Don't The Holy Spirit's not on vacation, okay? So don't you play the role of the Holy Spirit. 
And don't feel your gift makes you superior to others. Well, I have the gift of preaching or uh, exhortation. That's the big gift. No, it's not. And I don't have that gift, as you can tell. But don't let any gift that you have make you feel superior. The Spirit has equipped you for that. Don't be loveless in your use of gifts. And we, we, that, that's really 12, chapter 12 goes on to 13, and that's a great love chapter. And he talks about gifts, and then he talks about love. And if I have all these gifts and I don't have love, what does it profit me? And that's really our attitude towards others in the Christian faith, um, that maybe practice the charismatic gifts. They're still believers, they still love the Lord, but we still have to extend love to them. And don't focus so much on your primary gift. When, when you take this assessment, you've my friend, boy, I'm pretty strong here and I'm here. Don't focus so much on your primary gift because sometimes there might be a need that arises that your secondary gift can meet better. So don't be so focused on, on I can only operate here. No, you might have a gift that meets a greater need. So what are my spiritual gifts? I hope you're taking the time. For those of you who don't have a computer, I'm in my office. You can use my computer. We'll do it, and it will print out what your gifts are. And then take it to someone who knows you. Say, are these my gifts? I don't think so. Oh, yeah, that's you. I can assure you that's what you're going to find out. And find out what your gifts are so that you'll be fruitful for the Lord. I've given you this gift for a purpose here, a cash Baptist, to do this. Lord, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do it. And then you're going to see God expand your your world and your ministry. We're going to close. And we've talked about gifts. And the Lord wants to walk with us with these gifts. And we have this opportunity, this great opportunity to walk with God. And so we'll close with the hymn of invitation. Where he leads, I will follow that we'll go with the Lord and that he's using us and he's directing us and he's showing us this is where I want you to be my hands, my feet, my mouth, my ear. I want you to serve here that where he leads I will follow. I hope that's your prayer today as we sing. Jesus said, come, follow me. And that's our heart's desire. Follow him step by step. Walk with him. This day and every day. And it's the sweetest thing you've ever, you'll ever know. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your invitation to follow you. We thank you for equipping us with gifts to be your representatives to a lost and dying world. And we pray, Father, that through this, you would be glorified as we exercise these. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.